You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm uh, really thankful to have a friend of mine with us all the way from Alabama. Tim Wheat's here. Tim, hello. Hey, uh, great to be here. Thanks for uh, asking me to join with you today. I look, I've been looking forward to it, so thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the past several years. Uh, you are in a new role at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Been and here. I love that title. Well, Thanks. It, uh, it is one that um, I, I proposed to them, and uh, it's just uh, something that would give uh, calls for conversations. And uh, uh, if you want me to kind of unpack that a little bit, I'll be glad to share where that came from. Yeah, so Tim Wheat is the pastor of missional living at Shades Mountain. And so when I first saw that, I was like, wow, I wonder what that means. So, yeah, unpack mm-hmm. that, and uh, I think it'll show mm-hmm. our people, man, you are an ideal guest for Neighbors and Nations. Okay, thanks. Uh, So I've only been here about eight or nine months. And so when I was first approached about uh, this position, uh, it previously was a position that was about mobilization. And uh, that's great. A lot of churches have, a lot of large churches have a mobilization, trying to move people onto mission trips and mission experiences and things like that. But as I talked to the senior pastor, uh, I said, I I would really, what what I would love to do is to help shape a culture here. And words really do matter. And so uh, rather than just coming and thinking about mobilizing, I want to help help the church um, learn to live every day as a missionary, that they wake up thinking about that. And so I threw this title out there to him as a missional living, which is, again, he's like, okay, I'm not really sure what that means, but that sounds great. <laughs> and uh, honestly, I said, I don't know what it means either, but it at least gives me the permission to shape some things that uh, I think are important for the church in regards to missions and evangelism. And so I'd love to hear you, you talk about you're doing more than just establishing programs. You're trying to shape a culture within mm-hmm. that body of believers geared toward what, a couple of things, I guess? Uh, or yeah, so, trips or mission environments or yeah. talk to us about that. So uh, I'm fortunate to have a team of people here. Uh, missions has been uh, a large part of what uh, the church has been engaged in for some 20 years. The senior pastor has been here 23 years and he brought a focus uh, to uh, of really thinking missions. Uh, in fact, uh, how this came about, he at the time of our conversation was the chairman of the the trustees for NAM. So that's uh, North American Mission Board. So that's how I got to know him. And uh, when I was working there, but um, the team that I have a responsible overseeing is um, in shaping the culture in evangelistic initiatives and missional engagement. And um, some people, I'll just use the word missional. It could be missions engagement. Um, so those are the two big, buckets that are fall underneath my umbrella of missional living. And I've been trying to be very intentional about that. Um, since I've been here. Yeah. So you, you, um, I sense you really value words. I mean, you said words matter. I fear you, mm-hmm. I feel you have these two buckets. And so you've crafted some language to help, mm-hmm. I guess, the culture. So talk to us a bit about, I mean, I guess language matters a lot in shaping yeah. culture, especially in regards to missions and evangelism. 
Yeah, and, and sociologists would tell you that one of the ways that you create culture or, or, um, or shape a culture is intentional use of words. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Uh, I just <laughs> I just try to learn from some other folks. And uh, but I do know certain words will be trigger words. And sometimes people use words and how you define them, a common words and how you define them and how I define them may be different. And so seeking the same common definition to make sure I'm saying what you're understanding uh, is on the same page. But then uh, the other part of that is if you use certain words that are not common, then it gives you a chance to define or explain that to people. And so that's, uh, that's the reason like, um, with evangelistic initiatives, um, I'll just use that for an explanation of one of the buckets and evangelism. Uh, you have a definition of evangelism. I have a definition of evangelism, but when I say evangelistic initiatives, what does that mean? It gives me the opportunity to say, Hey, I want to, I want to help shape, create uh, both some language, some opportunities, uh, some training and understanding of what we can do uh, to help people live life more on mission as evangelist um, than maybe what they think about. And so um, our, our mission, I, when I got here and got my team together and started moving some pieces around, we came up with a mission statement, which I realize sometimes it's, a statement that stands on a wall or whatever, but this is what we got. This is what we're guided by that we uh, in our area, missional living is that we're trying to provide catalytic experiences uh, to energize a missionary movement in Birmingham and beyond. We're in Birmingham, Alabama. Each one of those words was carefully chosen uh, so that we can then see expressions of what those words are. Uh, and so evangelistic initiatives is one of those words is to be catalytic in trying to energize something among our people. Well, I, I should have had you on as our very first guest because, Ben, you just described a neighbors and nations heartbeat. You said from Birmingham mm -hmm. and beyond, mm -hmm. you use the idea of uh, evangelistic initiatives and then missional encounters. So that's excellent. Let me just kind of insert a question here that I usually ask at the end, but I want to get this on the table early for our listeners. Many of them are pastors. I think mm -hmm. that kind of language, that kind of intentionality, your value of words would is very beneficial to those who are listening. Mm -hmm. If someone wanted to connect with you, maybe for some of that language or to learn more, is there a way they can connect with you or maybe read this somewhere to help them maybe uh, as they're working in their church? What's the best uh, way to connect with you? And, sure. Yeah. The best way right now is um, through, through email. I mean, they could, they could call the church. They want to talk to me. Uh, and I certainly don't mind sharing my email address. Uh, the best one, one that I look at more than I need to probably every day is, uh, <laughs> is, is T wheat at shades.org. Okay. Um, and uh, so I'd love for questions or comments or thoughts. Uh, I am in the process of, writing and creating all this. Um, and some of it will be on our website at shades.org. So they can, they can find it there, but, uh, any, any tool, any way I can help encourage or resource somebody with this, uh, I'll be glad to, to do that. So, and you've done that a good bit, even with our own staff, you have a, a unique gift of just, uh, mobilizing people, like you said, but I think with our own staff, you came up a few months ago, helped our staff just with a number of things, thinking through different situations. You've helped them individually, collectively. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage our listeners, if 
if they want to access that website or just give you a quick email, man, Tim is uh, favored and gifted right now to really mm-hmm. help people take next steps. And he's, his use with words is very, very helpful. So let me just cut to the chase on this question, Tim. Uh, as you've been creating the culture, as you've been thinking about these two buckets, where do you find the largest obstacle there in your work? Yeah. The, uh, the biggest challenge has been in that area of evangelism. And, and so I've used that word a lot uh, so far in this podcast, uh, and it's been intentional about that because, <laughs> uh, uh, hey, as much as I would, uh, when it comes to missions and uh, our missional living, mission engagement, uh, there is a separation. There's a dichotomy that I wish was not there. Mm. Um, but the reality is, and we, I feel like, again, I'm not going to say I'm the expert. It's just my limited experience is that we've separated out evangelism and missions and they really should be one. Um, it, it, the same, same kind of argument, I guess, could be made or discussion could be had about evangelism and discipleship. Discipleship as encompasses evangelism, but I'm just going to speak from a mission standpoint right now. Um, and, uh, and so I have been trying to be intentional about elevating the evangelism piece of living as a missionary. And so if, if I have a goal is to help our people understand our people or any, any person that is a follower of Jesus, that you are to be a missionary for Jesus. And, um, and the way that I'd like to describe it to, uh, to our people here is every day, that you wake up, you wake up and you walk outside your door, you are a missionary uh, for Jesus. In fact, every trip you take is a missions trip. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that you are, you are living, we are called to live on mission every day out of a fellowship uh, with Jesus. But here's what I've noticed um, or seen. And some of this came out of a conversation with that, what I'll call an expert in the field. Um, he's, he said some of the studies have shown that over the last 10 years, there has been an, a steady increase in uh, gospel demonstration. Uh, that was the way he phrased that. And I like that. And he said about people who are mobilized to go and serve and care. You think about some of the catastrophes that have occurred around our country, around our world, and churches have risen to the occasion and they have gone and they have cleaned up places. They serve people. They provided food and meals and things like that. There has been an, a, a good increase in gospel demonstration, but studies have also shown that over the same uh, time from there has been a decline in gospel proclamation. And so we have a lot of people that have been mobilized to go and do some wonderful things in the way of in Jesus's name, but they're not always sharing Jesus's name. And so uh, I've, I've tried to in my own life personally, and now here in this responsibility I have is to, to elevate that back up to saying that, living as a missionary, even as a follower of Jesus, uh, we need to live with an intentionality of not just showing Christ's love, but sharing his love as well. And so uh, the biggest challenge is to help create um, everyday uh, evangelists 
uh, are everyday missionaries who have a gospel intentionality about them. Well, your experience is probably very similar to a lot of people who are listening. I think mm-hmm. uh, we, we one commonality we have is we both are in the Southern Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. uh, and we've seen that emphasis in the last several years with Who's Your One. We've seen it mm-hmm. with... Uh, the emphasis upon evangelism from uh, Johnny Hunt, just a lot of emphasis mm-hmm. on right. let's start sharing and showing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've all, we're all aware, at least those of this circle, we're aware that the decline in baptism. So I, I think your experience, you don't need to feel alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of us who mobilize or work with people in this area would say it's, we're finding it hard to, I mean, I find it personally hard just to say, yeah. this is what I do every day. It seems easier to go across the ocean or go to another state and do something for a week than perhaps every day be thinking, man, I want to share with somebody today. Yeah, it, it is. And, and uh, let me again, just say, I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not a, a Johnny Hunt in the sense that I'm a gifted evangelist. Okay. Uh, in fact, studies show at one time, uh, a recent study I read uh, back at like a, uh, 2000, there was a studies done of, of spiritual gifts within the church. What I recollect is that it showed about four to six percent of the evangelical or whoever was uh, taking the survey showed that they have spiritual gift of evangelism, four to six percent within the church. Uh, a more recent study showed now that that is down to one percent. And so the decline in the spiritual gift of evangelism, however we want to measure that, does not exclude us from the call to be evangelist. Mm. And although I'm not a gifted person uh, in that area, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to live as one who follows Jesus. And Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And um, I've tried to, uh, learn and grow in not feeling the burden and the pressure of that as much as it is uh, the joy of learning how to love people and um, engaging in some conversations that I want to introduce them to the person who I love. Uh, hey, here, here's a way to look at it. See if I can say it this way. Uh, man, I am so thankful again for North American Mission Board, uh, Pastor Johnny, uh, JD, those folks, the who's your one emphasis. And, uh, and we have actually, we're having them come to our church uh, later on. Uh, and they're, we're going to have one of these who's your one rally. Um, but I've taken that and, and shifted it a little bit, um, and leading our church that we have a, a mantra about live sent and then kind of a tagline underneath that. It's all about the one. And so I've been elevating this emphasis. It's all about the one because uh, the emphasis is following Jesus. And I'm going to make my life all about him as being the one. And Jesus's heart was for lost people. So if I follow Jesus and I'm growing my relationship with Jesus, then out of that, he's going to lead me or give me a desire and a passion and love for the ones who he's in pursuit of. I like so it's a, it's a win-win. Yeah. It's all about the one mm-hmm. capital O there, right? That's right. That's right. And, uh, uh, so that, that is actually on the, that that'll be on our website, uh, coming up here in, in uh, just a little while. Um, so that, uh, I'm trying to help our church, uh, kind of adopt that focus is if I can 
get us to move towards an intimacy with the Jesus, with Jesus, the one, then he's going to lead us to the ones that he's after. So Amen. it's a, it's a win-win situation. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that got adopted in a larger scale, Tim. We'll probably yeah. see that again, perhaps. Right. Well, I, I shared some of this with brother Johnny and I mean, he's so affirming. He's so encouraging. He'll make you feel like you're the smartest person in the world. So <laughs> I get all that, but, but he was like, Hey Tim, I love that. That's a great idea. And I'll, I'll share this with some other folks. And I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> so that's yeah. so I, I hear in you um, not only an intentionality with words, I hear uh, some entrepreneurial spirit. I hear uh, things about um, trying to craft systems um, mm-hmm. So tell us a bit about the Tim Wheat as a person. Give us a quick bio, you know, some roles you've had, where you're from. Um, yeah, I'd like to hear more how God's kind of brought you to this point where you're now yeah. shaping a culture because obviously you're not here by accident. God's designed you and made you for this moment. So, yeah, give us a little quick rundown on Tim Wheat, would you? Yeah. Uh, so I uh, and I have been one of those guys that that God, I guess, created or shaped um, with a uh, an apostolic, we'll put it that way, or an entrepreneurial, to use the business term. I, I'll, I'm much more of a starter and uh, hopefully a creator. Um, I don't think of myself as being creative, but I like to create. I like to start some things. And um, so my ministry history has been much of that. Uh, I, I wanted to be one of those guys that uh, went somewhere and sunk my life in there forever. And because I understood the, the fruit of that, but God makes some of us more apostolic. So I probably have had uh, 10 ministry roles in my life. And with the exception of one of them, uh, I was the first person in the other nine of those. And so I got to shape it, create it, uh, or reshape it. Um, it might've been a position, but not with that particular focus or that particular title and emphasis. And so yeah, I've, I've been uh, a, a, a student minister at a church. I've been a, a college campus minister, an executive pastor. I've been a church planning pastor. <laughs> uh, I've been a senior pastor, and that was the uh, that was the one time that uh, I followed somebody. I was the second guy in that role. Uh, I've been a church planter. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. So I started uh, helped to create a church. Started church with some other folks. So, uh, and even when I went to the North American Mission Board, it's when the SEND network was just being formed. And so I was in a brand new role to create and shape some things as a part of the SEND network. So uh, that's that's just been the way that I've been wired. And, um, you know, it's probably two thoughts as I've reflected over my life. Um, I'm not one that uh, was always uh, adapted to change well. Um, and so God started uh, doing some things in my life to help me uh, get get better about change. And uh, so I adopted some principles some years ago that uh, uh, said, you know, uh, people, uh, not everybody likes change unless they're the ones who's creating it. So I thought I would just create it. <laughs> so, uh, Our staff would say uh, that too. That's probably yeah. true. So, uh, but the other part of that, if you're asking me about my bio or, or just my wiring uh, that I've discovered about myself. And this is, this is just how God created me is that I've lived by this mantra of make it better. Um, and so when I go to a, a role or an opportunity, 
uh, it's, it's wonder. I'm in a wonderful church, a great church. North American mission board is a fantastic, uh, mission, you know, organization. I, I love being a part of, of, uh, that mission and the church I'm a part of. Um, but how can I make it better? And so I'm looking at systems. I'm looking at, uh, structures. Um, I'm thinking of you know, programs or initiatives, things like that, that can, what, what can I do that God's brought me here to tinker with and then hopefully to make it better. So they want to leave here. It's better than when I got here. You sound like an engineer in the church. It's uh, a great perspective to have. Um, my wife has two sisters and, uh, one, one's married to an electrical engineer, one's married to a civil engineer. And so I said, hey, honey, you've married a life engineer, okay? <laughs> so we, your parents can say your, their daughter's married all these engineers. And so we'll just go with that. So, yeah. So did you find this true growing up uh, as we're still kind of thinking about Tim Wheat, the person? Do you, do you find yourself drawn to new things? Uh, were you always tinkering with systems at home or as a kid? I mean, tell us a little bit about that or, or not. Yeah, I, uh, uh, man, listen, I'm a, an introvert by my wiring. So I'm not going to be uh, uh, one of these high eye walk in the room and kind of light it up type of personalities. Um, but early on, as I look back now, at the time I didn't, didn't uh, know that as a, as a teenager and even into college. Uh, but I was, I was always trying to step into uh, some roles of, um, improving, uh, making it better, um, even to some leadership roles. And so sometimes, uh, you know, like uh, captain of the basketball team, well, it's not something I solicited or anything like that, but that was, uh, the rest of the team recognized that, uh, some leadership. And, um, even though I might not have recognized it at the time, but I look back now and go, okay, God was, God was, had his hand on all these things. And so, uh, I have, uh, uh, three older siblings and a younger sibling. So I was number four out of five kids and um, observed a lot of the things that they were doing and learned from them. Um, we're all very unique and different, but uh, it, it, I think God was even using that to say, hey, Tim, um, I want you to make some things better. And is, so, your, uh, is your background kind of in a Christian home or were your parents non-believers or yeah. Yeah. I say I was, I've been in church since I was negative nine months old. So, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, my, my parents actually met in church. Uh, my dad was stationed at an, uh, an air force base and he went to a local church. Um, and, uh, that's where he met my mom and they fell in love and got married. And, and so I'm thankful for parents who gave me a good foundation of making sure that we were in church every, every week. But I was just also one of those kids that, um, again, this is just by God's uh, calling or sovereignty that, uh, I liked going to church. Uh, I enjoyed, um, you know, even going to Sunday school, uh, although my sister, and this is not making me better than them uh, at all. It's just, you know, my sister and brother's maybe didn't. We all went to church and they're all involved in church, but I like going to church. And let me just say this too. Uh, it was when I was eight years old, uh, having been raised in church for eight years, hearing all about God, hearing all about Jesus and, uh, and being a good kid actually. Um, but it was a, 
uh, when I was eight years old, my Sunday school teacher at that particular Sunday uh, described, and I can still remember the words and the imagery that she gave of telling about what Jesus did on my behalf. And that's when I understood I was a sinner. I was say I was separated from God, and I need to personalize this love uh, that Jesus had for me by receiving forgiveness and receiving Him uh, as my Lord and Savior. I say all that to say this: never, if if any Sunday school teacher, any deacon, any lay person just happens to listen to this, never underestimate your faithfulness in serving in the church of what God's going to do in the life of someone who's watching you or, or uh, listening to you. And um, that I just, she never knows the impact that she had on my life uh, because she was much older and we moved away. And so I don't know when she's passed away or anything like that, but I would say God used her to shape my life, which has been a, a life of ministry uh, I just happened one of those who never, who never walked away from the Lord mm. in the sense of, you know, lost my, my mind some years or anything like that. So I just say that as, as a word of encouragement for folks who you just never underestimate um, uh, how God can use you. I think those are great life. neighbor moments. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people mm. who are close to us. And I yeah. usually ask people this, you know, who are the neighbors in your life that have impacted you? And you're talking about your parents. Mm-hmm. Sunday school teacher, a, a church that you just love to be at. And who knows how God uses all of that to shape us over time to plant seeds. And uh, it's good to hear that story. I didn't know uh, much about that. So you, mm-hmm. uh, where was this in what state or where did you grow up? Yeah. So that was in South Carolina. I grew up in Sumter, South Carolina and, um, and lived there until the end of my sophomore year. And, uh, Hey, God's calling on my life started, uh, even though I was a good kid, was in church, but when I was in ninth grade, I began to feel a tug towards okay. uh, something that uh, is ministry. I didn't even know what that meant. And then really my uh, sophomore year, um, I tugged towards ministry in the sense of like uh, a professional, like a pastor. And I still remember going, God, there's, there's no way. Okay. <laughs> there's no way. Uh, you know, I, the, the, the traditions that I grew up in a good solid Southern Baptist church in the deep South, uh, you know, the pastor always had a coat and tie on. And I'm thinking, I think he mows his grass in his coat and tie. And I was like, <laughs> you know, God, that, not is, you. that is not me. Uh, but it was at a youth camp, um, at the end of my sophomore year. And, um, and, God really arrested my heart. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. But I still said no, uh, stayed close to, to, to Jesus and, and in the church. And then through a series of moves where my family all of a sudden moved from South Carolina to Tennessee in my junior year. And I'm like, my world was wrecked. And, and again, it was a Sunday school teacher and a, and a part-time youth minister who started investing in me a little bit. And, and a friend, one friend at, at school and church. And then uh, I'm still like, I don't know about this guy. Uh, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. I had my life kind of planned out in front of me. Uh, we moved again at the end of my junior year to uh, Arkansas, which is where my dad was from. He was making some, a series of moves to get back there. And God used all those moves 
uh, to one, break me, um, really, but to also shape me into saying that I could trust him and uh, that he's got a plan that's better for my life than my plan. And mm. it, each one of those brought some people into my life, whether it was some church people or some friends uh, along the way that God used. And so finally, at the end of my senior year in high school, uh, I'm deciding about college and everything. And uh, I, I picked a Baptist school. Uh, they had scholarships and all sorts of things for me. So I went there and, and that's where that's where God really said, Tim, I got a better life than you can than you can imagine. But you got to trust me. And that was that full surrender of saying, OK, God. I'll, wow. Yeah. And now you are at Shades Mountain as the pastor of missional living, helping craft yeah. a culture of uh, evangelistic initiatives and missional engagements. So it's interesting how God uses all of those things to maximize the way our life will point to his purposes. So that's cool. Mm. So looking back on those experiences, Tim, and the things that God's um, done in your heart from eight-year-old to freshman and in college, and just even these 10 different opportunities, um, what, are, what are some overarching principles that you've kind of called about neighbors and nations, or as you would say, missional engagements, evangelistic initiatives that, that maybe we could hear from you like, okay, here's things that are universal, non-negotiables if you want to have a heart for both neighbors and nations. Uh, hey, I'll, I think I'll share maybe three or four that come to mind. Um, and, and the first one, uh, I really appreciate you asking the question because the first one, I, uh, I just live by this and it's something that I've, I've tried to share in any context. So I was going to I was going to weave it in somehow <laughs> anyway. So, uh, and it's this principle that ministry is what you leave behind as you follow Jesus. I know we're talking about missions and engage evangelistic uh, engagements and gospel conversations, things like that. Those words we've been using, but I'm just going to use the word ministry. Hey, ministry is what you leave behind as you follow Jesus. And if I, if I could encourage listeners, if I could um, inspire or maybe even challenge them that what, what it is about is not, is not so much looking at the world in the way of missions. It's not even looking at neighbors. It's not even looking per se as a focus to who I can reach, outreach and evangelism and everything, is uh, just keep growing deeper in your intimacy with Jesus. And as, as you grow deeper, as I grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus and I follow Jesus, Jesus is always in the move, as I follow him, ministry is what's going to come out of that. It's what I leave behind. It's the ripple effect. And, uh, man, what's on his heart? Uh, you know, I've heard it said this way. Um, when I get with the Father, then what's on the Father's heart gets on my heart. And when what's on his heart gets on my heart, my heart's going to be different. And Jesus was, uh, he came to seek and to save the lost. And so uh, I mentioned about this, who's your one? That's where I go back. To, it's all about the one. And so uh, the principle is this, is that ministers, what you leave behind is you follow Jesus. So just follow Jesus um, wherever you may be. With that, because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, I feel like everybody has a somebody. And uh, uh, we just need to recognize that um, from neighbors and nations, kind of the other part of that is that uh, there are lost people everywhere. And um, the, uh, I lived, I've lived in the South and I've lived out West. Um, and there was a part of me that wanted to leave the South because I thought, everybody here is already, you know, Christian. I need to go where there's, there's uh, uh, 
you know, people who need to hear the gospel. And um, what I've discovered is that the, the world is really coming to us here in, in North America, the U.S. particularly. And um, the world is becoming increasingly secular. So wherever somebody listens to this podcast, uh, whether they're out west, up north, in another part of the world, or in the deep, deep south, like Birmingham, Alabama, there is a, there's, a, there's a lost person within somewhere their sphere of influence. So they're right here. I think you're right um, in that there is need everywhere. Access could be an issue to talk about. But as far as need, it is universal. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and with kind of that in mind, um, <clears throat> when I think about that, there's lost people everywhere. Uh, I mean, genuinely, there are lost people. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know that. No, they're, they're genuinely right there. And they are bound for our Christless eternity. And we, we, have, the, we have the privilege. We have the, the joy, not the responsibility or the burden to helping uh, at least show and share. Uh, how they can, their, their eternities can be forever changed. Not just their eternities, their lives can be forever changed. Uh, it's a little scary. I, in fact, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get back to this question of why people aren't as concerned about evangelism or involvement. Uh, I'll give a, a few thoughts on that. But everyone can be a part of reaching the world. Um, they, they can. I mean, we, we've, we've uh, known about, okay, you can pray. Absolutely, you can pray. But uh, my conviction, my belief is, is that if a person's really praying, then God's going to bring somebody to mind. He's going to bring someone into their world. And uh, so it really does start with prayer. Um, but everyone can be a part of helping to reach the world in some way because you know somebody or you know somebody who knows somebody who's lost. And um, just your influence on them can help that person. So uh, it's in the ripple effect. So, uh, so those, I, I don't know if uh, all that makes sense, but those are some of the thoughts when I think about uh, principles that have come out of this over the last several years for me. That's very helpful. I like the, uh, the idea of everybody has a somebody. We might want to use that next. Uh, yeah, okay. In our circles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, and I guess maybe one other thought that came to mind too, and and again, I don't know where your listeners are that uh, uh, may be hearing this, um, but to whom much is given, much is required, and uh, that's not unique with me, obviously. <laughs> but uh, but I think about uh, the fact that we have been uh, given, particularly in North America, the freedom of religion that we have. And and to think about my context of the South, where there is a plethora of churches and ministries and missions and things like that. But we have been given the gospel, and um, <clears throat> it's the hope of the world. And I first became aware of this sense of conviction about you know too much is given, much is required when I visited um, Canada some years ago. And one of the statistics that we will share at North American Mission Board that. Uh, you know, uh, as far as the ratio of Southern Baptist churches, there's, there's one Southern Baptist church for every 94,000 people in Canada. And um, I said, our neighbors who live right across the street from us uh, are lost and again, bound for our Christless eternity. And uh, 
we have been given in North America the gift of the gospel and good, strong churches and discipleship and disciple making. And we got to cross the street or when it comes to nations, we need to really go around the world. Um, because to whom much is given, much is really required of us. So. It is a both and posture, isn't it? It is. We do uh, want to see our neighbors come to Christ, and we want to see mm-hmm. the nations reached. That's right. Uh, so yeah. let's go back to your question then. Uh, you said obstacles to evangelism. You kind of mentioned you want to come back to that question. What are some things you're seeing then? Yeah. I, I think the first uh, reason that people aren't as engaged in, uh, you know, evangelism is, uh, is fear. I, I think that's what they would say. You know, it's fear, rejection, fear. I don't know enough. And, and what I've tried to encourage folks in that regard is that, uh, sure, you're, you're not going to know everything. Um, but what you're talking about is a person that you do know. Mm. And, um, if you can focus it back on a relationship with a purpose, uh, with a person, then that uh, I, I hope will give some confidence is that you might not answer every question about the Bible. Man, there are questions that people throw at me after years of ministry and degrees and all that. And I'm going like, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, so, so, uh, so anyway, the fear part of it, but I, I, I think the, the other part, and this is an, I think I can't say I've done all the research. This is just coming out of my own experiences. I'll just use the word, um, it's indifference. Uh, apathy is, is a strong word, but it's indifference. In other words, people aren't as engaged. They don't wake up every day looking at themselves as a, as a missionary because they wake up every day thinking, okay, I got to get up and get to work and do my job and take care of my family. And by the way, my family um, with my 2.3 kids are involved in this activity and this sport, and this thing and that thing. And by the way, that's my life. You know, somebody once asked me what, what my hobbies were. And this is when my kids were all real small. I have three daughters. They said, what are your hobbies? I said, Madison, Michaela, and Macy. <laughs> That's my hobbies because <laughs> our life was so full at that point. But, but that busyness of our life has created a, a little bit of an indifference. And things that, things that I really care about, things like, my kids or I think I have no problem reorienting my life to give time and intentionality to them. Um, but it's the things that I really don't care about, the things that I really uh, you know, maybe feel some indifference towards. Uh, I'll dis- be dismissive about, well, uh, somebody else will have to take care of that, or that's just not a priority or whatever. So um, I, I've uh, tried to just um, confront that in my own life and in with other people's lives to say part of the reason we're not as involved in evangelism and sharing our faith and gospel conversations is that um, we're indifferent. And part of that indifference is that we've lost a little bit of the heart of Jesus. And that's where it gets a little touchy because uh, it's hard to tell somebody do you love Jesus? Absolutely. I love Jesus. <laughs> if you love Jesus, then you would love what Jesus loves. So it's a relationship on both sides in our relationship mm-hmm. with Christ and God yeah, being the fuel for our relationship with those who don't know him yet. Mm-hmm. So indifference, fear, 
uh, obstacles. And those are pretty convicting comments, Tim. Thank you for just mm. sharing that transparently. What do you think are some hidden opportunities that exist right now mm. uh, with the church and in the church in regards to this topic? Uh, I think that um, our college focus is a hidden opportunity or maybe one of the largest opportunities. And I know not everybody is in a college town, um, but a, uh, the college ministry. And so here's the way I like to think of it, that, uh, you know, our college age is both the largest mission field and the largest mission force that we have. And if we can, um, can think of strategically learning how to engage that season of a person's life, God is preparing them for some vocation somewhere. And um, if we can help reach and disciple them, then uh, we've, we've created more missionaries than we actually think. They might not ever mm. say I'm called to full-time missions, but they will go live life on mission. And um, you, you remember years ago, Rick Warren with Saddleback, uh, when he would use this, he had a term that every member a minister, uh, when, and somebody would say mm-hmm. at a conference, Hey, how many ministers you got on staff? He said, Oh, about 4,000. Um, and so, uh, and I, I, I understand where he's coming from that. And I just like to look at it. How many missionaries come out of your church? Oh, about, you know, 3,000, 2,400, 200, ever how many people are there, they're missionaries. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, college ministry is just one of those that, uh, I, I will continue to, encourage folks to look at as an opportunity to develop missionaries. The other one, uh, I think is, uh, senior adults and, uh, uh, senior adults have lived a, a full life. And I don't know what you might call them there and other situations, but it's those folks who have, uh, in the twilights moved towards the retirement years. Um, and they have, uh, usually more time. So how can we leverage them uh, for, for ministry sake. And, uh, they, they still have much value to add as we encourage and challenge them to follow Jesus. Uh, how can they be mobilized, uh, to not only serve in some capacities on the trips and the experiences, but even within the community of mentoring and apprenticing and speaking into lives that are right around them. So, uh, that's the kind of, when I think of opportunities, I just try to bring those up to churches. Besides the fact, like I said, that everybody's got somebody. Sure. I think you've spotlighted two um, maybe ends of a spectrum. One is pre-career. Mm-hmm. And one is yeah, post-career. And it's interesting. Those are the moments in which we have the most flexibility. Like you take someone yeah. 22, 23, not yet married, perhaps not yet velcroed with all of his job responsibility or her job responsibilities they have a lot of mobility don't they agility just Mm -hmm. to move anywhere in the world Uh and then someone on the other end of the spectrum who's got more discretionary time perhaps more discretionary money and can move anywhere and it's interesting i think you're spot on in that those are two really good areas uh, that the church perhaps needs to realize like you said it's a field and a force Mm-hmm. And maybe utilizing right. them in a greater degree and said, hey, give some of your time that you have more of right now mm-hmm. uh, before you get tied down. And it's not that they're bad things, but life is right. that way, isn't it? There's this 
40 year period in which you're raising kids, working your job. And you do seem like, man, I can't move anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. It, it, and, and that is the reality. So I, I mean, we have to, we have to deal with reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we can book in that or realize that, uh, that there's, there's a beginning point and, uh, even the final part of it maybe can reshape, uh, in a different way than, uh, just the retirement or just the, okay, now what I do. And when I think of the opportunity to steward the sixties and 70 year olds, uh, Man, I'm, that that should that should be exciting to all of us. Now, uh, you know, Bob Buford wrote the halftime, and uh, it's kind of that mentality of you've worked hard, you, you've you're at a certain place in your life. Now, think of what God can do uh, with you in these years that you have more time, or uh, even maybe even more resources for some. So, what an opportunity as a word you've used to help shape that culture, mm-hmm. you know, of folks in that age group. So last question, Tim, is this, what's something you hope to see God do before you die? And that is such a thought provoking question. <laughs> um, I'll tell you that the first thing that comes to mind may be more self-serving, uh, but I think of it personally. And, and, uh, and I would like to see uh, a third generation of fully you know, devoted followers from my family. So obviously my kids, I am, I've got three daughters, like I said, I, I pray that they are all in following Jesus and, uh, and loving him. But I'd like to see another generation, their kids along the same way. We know that the world is becoming increasingly secular and we know all the challenges and all of that. And as I think about in 2040 and 2040, what the world is going to be like from a uh, that standpoint. So I, I pray I, that's why I hope to be able to see a third generation from my family of fully devoted followers of Jesus from the church standpoint. And I'd, I'd like to see the church and, and believers uh, become more like Jesus in the sense that Jesus was um, loved by lost people. And, um, you know, Luke two fifty two said he grew in stature and favor with God and man. And, um, and then the church itself, when you think about that Acts 2 passage, where it says that uh, as they were following Jesus and, you know, getting together and sharing meals and all that, and that they were having favor with all the people. And uh, we have created, I think, at times a, a divide in that we know the moral behaviors and the lifestyle and the values of believers are different than uh, usually the lifestyles and values and moral behaviors of people who are not Christ followers. And we've allowed that to create uh, a division that uh, has not attracted people to who Jesus is. So again, I'm not sure if I know how to describe this, but I would, I would pray that the church one day would be seen by people who are not followers of Christ as the most loving and good and that I want to be a friend of a Christ follower, even though I might not be a Christ follower and uh, that we would have favor um, with all the people. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time today. I I have uh, really appreciated 
your insight and also just your hmm. intentionality with words. I've learned a lot just personally hearing you talk and have got, jotted a few notes like, I'm going to use that later. I'm going to mm-hmm. use that with our staff and maybe with our missions team. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, best to you and your work there at Shades Mountain. Thank and uh, just thanks for your friendship. And I'm so thankful that you've helped us think about neighbors and nations, evangelistic mm-hmm. initiatives, and missional encounters or engagements. I'm not sure now. Mm-hmm. I got to go back and review that. But yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Hey, thanks so well, much hey, for your thanks. time. Yeah, thank you. This has been a lot of fun and a lot of joy for me. And I pray all blessings on you. And and I uh, hope this uh, podcast will serve listeners well. So I'm sure you. it will. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.